This episode of Literary Treks is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for iPhone, iPad, and iPod, Android, Kindle, Windows Phone, plus Mac or PC. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. these books i thought i'd take some light reading in case i got bored welcome everyone to another episode of literary treks our dedicated star trek books and comics show i'm christopher jones and joining me once again as he does every week is my esteemed co-host from down there in that sometimes hot sometimes snowy land of texas it's matthew rushing matthew what's happening in texas right now well chris let's see uh today it was 23 at the train station, uh, okay. Fahrenheit. And then I uh, got out of work, and it was 50-something. Uh, and I'm pretty sure, let me look, I, I will just check right now. But I think, Chris, that tomorrow is supposed to be like in the high 70s. And then uh, <laughs> Saturday, yep, let's see. Uh, Saturday, it's supposed to be 79 degrees outside. Wow. Today, the low was 23 Yep, that's Texas. And then, of course, um, by Monday, it's supposed to be 37. So I don't – I. It, it's like somebody's just flicking the switch from hot to cold here in Texas. You know, and it's, what I think it is, and sometimes when you look at Starfleet uniforms, especially the DS9 gray uniforms from the war, you feel like there's maybe too many layers going on, right? Well, I think that they the Starfleet school fashion – when they're not working on new belt buckle designs for the admirals, of course, they're doing uniforms and they just build in a lot of layers for the situation you're describing. You know, you never know what the climate's going to be like when, when you beam down to a planet. You need to be able to either put stuff on or just rip it off at will. You know, that is true. Um, the problem is, Chris, is that uh, it's messing with my allergies. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, well, it's messing with just, a lot of people's allergies, and it's making them sick here. It's really frustrating, so I wish it would stop. Well, you just need to go see Beverly. You just need to lay down on that bio bed and hmm. ask her if she can you fix you. There. Yeah, I, Beverly, I've, I've got an issue. Uh, I got a fever. A fever whose <laughs> only prescription is more Beverly. I like <laughs> this, I Chris. Told. Okay, boom, done. All right. Uh, hey, Chris, can you finish the show? Um, I need to go see a redhead about a thing. All right. Thing. Yeah. Yeah, about a thing. Okay, well, why don't we jump into the show? <laughs> <laughs> we have uh, we have one news item today, and then we're going to talk about the latest Star Trek ongoing comic and the last issue of the Con comic, and then we're going to jump into the feature and continue our look at the Slings and Arrows series. Now, of course, Matthew, our news item today is actually another installment of the new part of our show, the new segment, Judge a Book by Its Cover. We judge a book by its cover because we know 
That things are only good on the inside if they look pretty on the outside. <laughs> well, you just you just wrote our segment music right here live on the air, Matthew. I did. It's. I mean, I got a talent. I'm. I'm sorry. I couldn't hide it anymore. So. All right. Well, Philip. I saw Philip, our colleague from Earl Grey, tweet that now that he's named a segment on our show here, he's going to come up with some theme music as well. So we'll have to see what he does, but. For today, Matthew, tell me, what book are we judging by its cover today? Well, today we're going to be looking at uh, the new Lost Era book called One Constant Star by David R. George III. Uh, This is continuing the story of uh, John Harriman and Captain Demora Sulu, who's now Mm -hmm. the captain of the Enterprise B in this. Uh, You know, and so what's great about the cover and what I really like is that they've gone back and uh, really recreated those lost era covers back from the late 90s early 2000s uh look uh actually it's probably it was like late 90s early 2000s wasn't it yeah yeah i think so and so um i just love that um they've given us a cover that really matches that in fact um the the book um that featured Harriman in it, The Lost Era, which was um, Serpents Among the Ruins mm-hmm. by David R. George III, had this almost exact same cover look. On the side, it had the Enterprise B there and everything, and then it has a kind of a picture in the background and whatnot. So it looks really good. It matches what they did there. Um, and yes, this was the early 2000s, actually, when these yeah. came out. So. Um, but I, I love it that they, they went back and they did that. It looks fantastic, I think. Um, and I'm excited to read this book. Um, we're actually going to go back um, as we get towards the release of this book. We're going to go back and, and read the other Lost Era books um, about Harriman. So that'll be exciting for the show to be ready for this. So, yeah, this is exciting. It looks fun. Um, yeah, I'm curious from the cover here because, again, you know, at this point, we're just judging this book by his cover. If that is Harriman, who we see here from, we only see the backs of heads and they're, they're in a, I guess a shuttle, it looks like, and they're heading into this bright light, which may be the constant star. I don't know. But uh, if that Probably. is Demora Sulu sitting next to him, I'm really looking forward to finding out more about her new hairstyle and her uniform, her which outfit. appears to yeah. be slightly inspired by Empress Hoshi's fashion line. It does. It really does. It's this nice sleeveless number. It looks like it's kind of leather. Yeah. Um, some and, wristbands uh, on as well. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, she's turned into Wonder Woman, apparently. So those bracelets, <laughs> she can block phaser beams, yeah. um, which is really exciting. Um, so, yeah, this is, it, I mean, the cover alone, it leaves me wanting to know what's going to happen in this story and uh you know strangely it, it, it enough, says excitement right on the cover right it does it really does in um so if i'm judging this book by its cover i'm thinking this is going to be an exciting story and honestly i don't know what it is but i actually always liked the enterprise b the the actual look of the ship i thought it was yeah. really cool i, I don't know yeah, why I like the B too. Yeah. um i think it's because that they um kind of upgraded the the excelsior class gave it a little something different uh, it just looks snazzy. I've I've got one uh, in my living room uh, because you know I like to collect starships, yep. and uh, so I'm excited about this. Yeah, so we'll see when this comes out. What's actually inside the book, and this drops on May 27th. 
So, Chris, if we were going to rate this cover, uh, what would you rate this cover? So, because we're judging a book by its cover, so what yeah, would you rate it? I think I'd probably give this one um, seven out of ten leather wristbands. Man, that's a good one. And because for me, and I thought you were going to steal mine, but I'm going to say seven out of ten leather corsets. Uh, which well, we're both, looks like what she's wearing. We're both going with the leather, the exactly. leather rating. Um, yes, and okay. we, we find, I think, that this book is sufficiently exciting by its cover. To, I think so, to yes. Rate, so. <laughs> <laughs> we have a stamp we put on it, sufficiently exciting. <laughs> <laughs> we need to create that stamp for the cover art. <laughs> we really do. Matt and Chris Seal of sufficiently exciting. <laughs> all right matthew let's 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 let this cover be and let's move on and let's judge the new issue of star trek ongoing this is ongoing number 30 by what's between the covers let's look at the inside of part two of two of parallel lives wow i feel like i've heard kirk say that we're gonna judge what's between the covers (laughs) yeah um, he has said that. So this, uh, okay, last time, Chris, and, and we had had um, the two Enterprises running into each other um, and, and these alternate universes um, that have collided and the other alternate universe that we've run into. This is getting really complicated because we're already in an alternate universe, so we yeah. run into another alternate universe. Uh, just wait till we get to about, you know, two-thirds of the way through this comic, and we start yeah. running into a lot of different alternate universes. So everybody that was male on our side is now female on the other side, and everybody who's female is male. So that's the setup. And they meet each other for the first time with Kirk and Kirk and Spock and Spock standing there. And I love that this first page, because it is pretty funny to me, that both Spocks just say the same thing. Fascinating. Because uh, that's what they do. Yeah. Um, and uh, that both Kirks are trying to say the same thing at the same time. She's like, is this some sort of joke? And he's like, I was just about to ask the same thing. But close enough. Uh, not really the same words. But, so on a whole, Chris, you know, the idea of this, it reminded me of kind of every single episode that they've ever done with an alternate universe kind of crammed into one just kind of paying homage to those two things you know just really just okay. like yeah that yeah. was my that was my thought process is that really this is the most classic you know we run into the alternate universe of ourselves we help each other out we leave going oh wish we could have spent more time there um yeah. well yeah I had it just interesting... felt like every episode so that i've seen before well i had an interesting experience reading this part of the comic and then the two together so last time and spoiler alert for everyone we're going to talk about what's in this comic uh, but don't worry there's not much to spoil really you already know that the genders are reversed and that's kind of pretty much what pretty much it, it is last time when we talked about the first part of this we we said at the end that it just felt like a setup for a story and we were still waiting to find out what the story was going to be well i got 
at least halfway through this issue, and I still felt the same way. I still felt like, is there actually a story to this or not? And I think my ultimate conclusion to this are two things. One, and maybe three things. One is that someone had the idea to write a story in which all of our heroes exist in an alternate universe, but their genders are swapped. And wouldn't it be cool if Kirk was a woman and Uhura was a man and Keenzer was Keenzer? But there was really no idea for an actual story behind it, but it would be fun to draw. And that's kind of still how I feel as I get through this. But when I got to the very end of it, I felt that there was another purpose for this comic existing. And because Roberto Orsi oversees these comics, I felt like at the end of this, it was almost like someone screaming, enough already with whether or not there's validity in the reboot and the Abrams verse. There are many universes out there. And as long as that's the case, we are perfectly within our right to explore another one of them. And who's to say whether one's real and one's not? That's how I felt at the end. And, and it was kind of a bad feeling, actually, because I really felt like it was almost lashing out. Like, hey, everyone who doesn't like the Abrams verse, you just forget it. You know, I can write about this if I want to. Who's to say it's not real? It's not your right to say it's not real. I hadn't even thought about that at all. Um, I I really just felt uh, reading this whole thing because, I mean, he runs into the classic Mirror Universe yeah. Kirk. Um, he runs into Jordy, uh, which well, was the, hilarious. Those are part uh, of the reasons why I had that feeling at the end. It's like they just start throwing people in. It's like the the part where the Klingons wearing Starfleet red, blue, and yellow uniforms, gold uniforms show up. That I thought, okay, well, that's kind of interesting. Like, there's a universe where the Klingons are part of the Federation and part of Starfleet, and there are there's an Enterprise that's manned by all Klingons. But then, then Mirror Universe Kirk shows up, and then I thought, okay, well, that kayak, I kind of get it. And then Jordy shows up, and I screamed, "It's not even the right time period." Yeah, um, <laughs> I I just. Yeah. To me, at that point of the story, um, I was thinking to myself, okay, so Jordy showing up is more of a, they have to fix this problem soon or it's going to get worse. You know, that's, you know, but yeah, I I get it. I, you know, (laughs) this is not a, this is not a fantastic uh, issue or set of issues. Um, I think it's a fun diversion and it's probably something that um, gives them an opportunity to relax a little bit and then create the next thing that they're going to be doing. I think it's I enterprise where the enterprise becomes sentient, which has already been done with Titan before. Um, but we'll let that go. Um, and, uh, so which in the comic could be really exciting. Um, but, uh, you know, I I thought these are fun and, and I had a, a, a decent time reading through. I thought it was funny that Jordy showed up. Honestly, I, I didn't even care because they're just kind of they, I I really felt like they were just saying, "Hey, we're just going to do that thing where every Star Trek show does, which is we're going to do the part where we run into an alternate universe and it's yeah. fun for a little bit and then, you know, cuz they already did the mirror universe here." Yeah. 
Um, but this is was a very classic to me TNG type type of episode because we've oh, yeah. seen this kind of thing before. So, um, yeah, I, it, it's fine. It's fun. Um, it, it's not greatness. Um, I actually would have liked. I mean, I thought it was actually kind of interesting. I, I would have liked to have just seen more interaction with uh, the different characters and themselves. I thought Kirk and himself getting a chance to meet was really interesting idea, you know, um, and what they've been through, how they may have been alike or not alike. I thought that would have been really uh, something to explore, um, but you don't really get a ton of that. So, um, well, that's the thing. Like I, I wanted to see more of maybe that interaction, but apart from a staff meeting, I mean, so much of the interaction is just them sitting at a table and the fact that, you know, Miss Scott worked together with Mr. Scott to find a solution. I, I don't know. I, I just felt like, yeah, I had fun reading them. I mean, it, it's a cute idea. It's just that it feels like if you're going to end up writing 48 pages of this, that at some point you could put some sort of actual story into it. But there's just not really much of anything there. Yeah, I agree with you. I feel exactly the same. Um and so I I don't know I guess if I'm rating this um, Chris I probably would give it mm, five and a half out of ten uh, five and a half out of ten uh, cranky Mrs McCoys. <laughs> she is kind of cranky, isn't she? Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh boy, if I'm gonna rate this, yeah. I don't know. I guess I'll give it two drag racing starships. Ah, well, there you go. Well, they um, both punched it at the same time. Which they is did. Pretty you awesome, know, that, so. that final page, isn't it like in space, but it's like two cars pulling up to a red light and waiting for the light to turn green and then they punch it. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. It's exactly like that. So, so, um, um all right. But what, what really got me though, and, my my gripe about and my comments about it being Orsi and the in the Abrams verse trying to justify itself comes on the final couple of pages and it's actually the dialogue between the female characters in talking about their universe. It just yeah, it it was not great. All right, well let's move on and let's get into the other thing we've really been waiting for, which is issue five, the final issue of the Khan series. God. To find out if we're going to get what I was hoping for in the last issue but didn't get, which was how did the Ricardo Montalban Khan become the Benedict Cumberbatch Khan? And why is he so angry at Admiral Marcus? Uh, he was just really mistreated as a child. That's really what it came down to. Uh, parenting and tutelage. Uh, so, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, spoiler alert again. We're going to talk about again, what's in this yes. comic as well. So if you haven't read it yet, you might want to read it uh, before you listen to to this section. And uh, but go ahead, Matthew. Well, Chris, uh, you know, we, we've been reading um, this comic. It's five issues, which is, is uh, pretty lengthy for a comic series. You know, one of the smaller ones that IDW will do. And I, you know, I I liked what we had been getting so far. Uh, personally, I thought it was interesting to have that 
that whole backstory of, of Khan and rising to power and, and that kind of thing. I thought it was really interesting. What I've been hoping for this whole time, though, is that we would basically get inside his head throughout into darkness and kind of get everything from his point of view. You know, we watched the movie from Kirk's point of view. Right. Um, I, I wanted to see his his internal monologue and exactly what's going through his head, what he knows, what Marcus knows about all that's going on in the movie. That's what I'm really hoping for here is is their side of the story. Um, and we don't get that. And I was really disappointed because of that. We get a tiny bit of things like they lead up to it. And then they just say, uh, then at the last part, he's pretty much like, oh, and then you know the rest. Right. And I was like, yeah. but you could have really given us some fun answers behind the scenes, like really what's going on and the the timelines of things and, and just what does Marcus know that um, we might not know that he knows in the film and, and w- w- you know, exactly what does um, Khan know that we might not be able to piece together from the movie with all they gave us. And just really great opportunity to do some really cool things and they just don't give us that. And I was disappointed in that. Um, yeah. I so. think we got a little bit, we, we got the fact that section 31 was sending out ships for deep space survey missions after the destruction of Vulcan. And, and these were all under the command of section 31 under Marcus's command, in fact. And we found out that it was a ship called the Vanguard that encountered the Botany Bay. Because if you remember last time, I asked the question, like, did Marcus himself discover Khan or did someone else discover Khan and bring him to Marcus? Because it still had not been made clear in the comic yet what happened. And so now we know what happened there. So this ship, the Vanguard, they found the Botany Bay. They woke up Khan because he was the last one to be put into stasis based on their readings. And so the assumption I made from there is that they assumed that he must be the leader because he was the last one. And so that's why they woke him up either that, or they just thought he'd be the easiest to wake up because he had been frozen less time, but it wasn't like he was, it wasn't a big time difference. So I think they probably thought like he's probably the leader. And then we find out that they take him to that, that, Section 31 base fortress that's in orbit of Io, where they were building the Vengeance. So we get a little bit there. And we get to find out how his appearance was changed and everything. But I have to tell you, Matthew, reading the whole thing and the whole explanation about how they chose a Northern European appearance and how they changed his voice because he was going to be in the London section 31 base and and all this. As I just said with that ongoing comic, this also felt a little bit to me like them just justifying why they cast an English actor in the role of Khan. Like, yeah, we cast someone to play Khan who was English. And so here's an in-universe technical explanation as to why he looked that way, but it felt like all just fabricated to me. Well, I think this is the thing too. Like I, I already knew that this is what they were going to do. Like I had no doubt that they were going to turn, they were going to have just changed his, his, uh, you know, look surgically. I mean, it just, it, 
I didn't even need them to tell me that. Um, you know, this is this is a little bit worse than them. You know, some people complain about not ne needing to know how Klingons got their foreheads. I mean, I like that way better than I don't need this explanation. What I I I feel like fans would have liked to have seen, and I would have liked to have seen, is just um, I would love to have seen the last issue be into darkness, basically from his point of view. Mm -hmm. um, and and why he's doing everything and and all of his motivations and everything because you know Khan is really calculating his plan seemed to be very intricate in into darkness and in, in that you know Kirk even says at the end of this comic which I thought was great and this was the part that I did enjoy is the end where I, I you could see how much Kirk has learned from Into Darkness um, and and about the way that Khan thinks. Is that, you know, why in the world was he telling us this story in the first place? One, he, he, he says, is that basically he can write his own story um, because right, we don't have any way to disprove him. We don't have many um, records from the time period. so yeah. And two, the idea that, that we've given him what he wanted, which was to be with his people. And, and he might be asleep in cryostasis, but he, we've given him exactly what he wanted, which was to be with his own, his own people. Yeah, and uh, I thought that that was a really uh, good ending to the comic, but it didn't make up for my disappointment of not getting some of the answers that I really hoped that they were going to give us. Yeah, yeah. I I don't know if I had quite the same feeling about what Kirk said there with the ending, just because I think what Khan wanted was to be with his people, awake with the new world to to conquer the way that we see in the Khan ruling in Hell comic. But, you know, being asleep in stasis in the same room with with the others, I don't know, to me, that wouldn't really be worth much. But but it does explain why, you know, that final scene that we see in the movie. Uh, and it explains how the people got into the torpedo casings and then how the torpedoes got on the Enterprise. But it it does all feel a bit lacking. Like they're filling in some of the blanks, but not necessarily the ones that you want to have filled in. And yeah, and I think that's the thing that I'm complaining about is I feel like there's a lot of blinks in Into Darkness that they could have filled that would have been much more exciting than this, because these are all the blanks that I already knew. Like, I really didn't not know anything here except for it being the Vanguard, which was kind of fun. Nice yeah. throw out there to, um, you know, David Mack and Kevin Dilmore and, and um, of course, a different ship, but. But the well, yes, anyway. and 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 I'm I'm thinking Dayton Ward and, and those guys and naming the Vanguard after yeah. probably that series. Um, so very cool for that. But uh, yeah, and nothing really shocking here. And and so for me, it kind of leaves a little bit of a disappointment. Whereas I really enjoyed Ruling in Hell, um, because of all that it gave us. And yeah. I, you know, we talked about that at length with with John Tenuto. This one, I'm I'm left. Just feeling, uh, okay, yeah. that's, that's, that's nice. You know, it almost feels like this should have been, this could have been countdown into darkness. Like if you knew this going into the movie, maybe it would have helped a little bit more with the movie, but. Yeah, exactly. This yeah. would have been, uh, I think really, uh, a good choice. Well, I think that if that had been the case, I think that people would have gone into the movie instead of being upset about the fact that Khan was in the movie, 
they could have said, okay, well, they've set up this whole thing. So now I'll find out like where this goes. Yeah, I think that would have been much more interesting. So, you know, um, I guess um, I would probably give this one. A, oh, gosh, I give it a five and a half out of ten torpedo casings, probably, Chris. Um, I think I would give this particular issue. I probably give it five out of 10 unnecessary facial reconstruction operations. <laughs> and the series as a whole, I'd probably give it maybe seven. Um, I think the first three issues were really excellent. The fourth issue kind of disappointed me. This one I thought was better than the fourth issue, but I, I agree with you that they missed an opportunity. I think that when you have 120 pages to work with, you should be able to cover more of the bases than than they ultimately did. Yeah, I agree with you too. I, I feel like that there were some things that they could have done just better here. And but that hey, you know that that's okay. Um, I still have to say I did love the artwork. Um, and uh, the cover work was fantastic for these. I'm really glad that they kind of pulled out a, uh, the stops for that. And uh, really good cover artwork. And 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 in general, I I. I would say I probably liked seventy mm, percent of the series. So yeah, that sounds um, about right. Yeah. All right. Well, that's all we have in the news segment. Before we jump into the feature and talk about the third book in the Slings and Arrows series, we'd like to tell you about our sponsor for today's show, and that's Audible.com. Audible helps us bring literary tricks to you every week. As you know, because we talk about it every week, they're the premier source for audiobooks. They have over 150,000 books on the site. And what we like to do is recommend a book to you. And, you know, I think that just sticking with the con bit that we just talked about in Into Darkness, the book that we'll recommend this week is the novelization of Into Darkness, which is read by Alice Eve. And the reason is that, like these comics, it also serves to fill in some of the blanks from the movie because uh, they're able to go into scenes in a little bit more depth. And um, I think that it can help you understand the movie a little bit more. Matthew, you you reviewed the book on the site. Uh, do you feel like people would gain a bit by reading that book or listening to it, I should say, with Audible? Uh, yes. Uh, well, one, it's, it's Alice Eve reading, so that's fantastic. Um, and two, um, I, I do think that... Uh, they really are able to extend some conversations that I think were probably larger and longer in the scripts and, and then got kind of cut down and whittled down. But there are some some great additions to the scenes, especially the one where uh, Kirk and Spock are talking to Marcus in his office is extended. And, and that's really actually a key scene that needed kind of more dialogue to it. And I just felt like with the the dialogue you get in the book, it really does add something to the rest of the film. And so learning, it, for me at least, you know, you can let a scene breathe a little bit, JJ, um, and uh, it, it'll help. Yeah. So I really do recommend it. Great. Well, you can get this book absolutely free 
As a Trek FM listener, all you need to do is go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm, sign up for the trial, and you can get Into Darkness or any audiobook you want absolutely free. And if at the end of that trial period you decide not to stick with Audible, you get to keep that book. That's yours. So there's really nothing to lose. And by trying Audible, you'll be helping us keep literary tricks coming to you every week. So again, go over to audibletrial.com slash trekfm, grab the book, Check it out, and we really thank Audible for helping us bring the show to you. Well, Chris, this week we're going to be continuing our Slings and Arrows series, and we'll be on book three, The Insolence of Office. And uh, this book really focuses on uh, a couple of main characters that don't get a lot of play in in the series, honestly. Um, we're going to focus on Troy and her mother here. Uh, we're going to be looking at, uh, in the book, um, after she had gotten married to Jael, and then divorced and, of course, was pregnant at that point. And so we never got any inclination in the episode from Deep Space Nine that she had uh, told uh, Deanna at all about that. And then they're going to deal with the fact that in First Contact, the shock of the movie, I think, for a lot of people was seeing Jordy without the visor and dealing with why that change came about. And um, so first off, um, one, Chris... If you were judging a book by its cover here, <laughs> um, what would you say about this cover? Because there's there's just some things that jump out at me on this cover. Oh, Matthew, I, if if I were judging a book by its cover with this particular one, I would want to know what on earth is going on with Deanna and her mother because Luoxana is screaming in pain. And of course, at this point... I mean, I guess if you look closely, you can tell that she's pregnant, but you know, you, you never know what might be going on in a Star Trek story. And, and Deanna looks like she's trying to attack her mother. I don't know. Yeah. Um, not only attack her mother, but I mean, that is gotta be the most, uh, it's gotta be the tightest fitting Starfleet <laughs> yes. female uniform I've ever seen. Um, I don't think Dax's uniform was ever that tight. Uh, I so think, goodness, I think that this is even tighter than that Beverly Crusher wallpaper that you sent me after the last show, man. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you might appreciate that. Um, <laughs> yes, I I found that and I thought this is really yes. really funny because they had they had these wallpapers and it it was just like the front of the uniform and yeah. on this uh, one they had added boobs and they called it the Crusher, <laughs> yeah. um, which I thought was funny. Yeah, yeah, this is this is a. The, all of these covers are 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 kind of funny to me anyway, but this one was just it's it's outrageous. Well, the, and the this cover they have here, Deanna. If you look at the upper half of it, so the lower half is what we're describing the scene in sick bay, and above it, then you've got Deanna just kind of looking out at you, and you've got Jordy with the visor on, looking towards Deanna with this like look of disgust on his face, like yeah what did you do it almost looks like in the bottom she attacked her mother and then she's done and then she's just looking Mm -hmm. at you like well that's what i did what do you want to say about it and jordy's looking like oh my gosh woman what did you do yeah he's got this kind of like nick cage mouth breather thing going on yeah it's kind of weird yeah it's crazy so all right anyway we get into the real story (laughs) i just had to mention that about the book because uh it was funny to me so yeah and so, Chris, uh, just kind of for you uh, going through the series and, and kind of your overall impression of this book in the series uh, after you finished it. 
Well, I think that this book, it's what we were talking about on the other side of the page before we started recording, that this is a That's TNG the other book. side of the page. <laughs> That's right. This is another book where this series is designed to tell the story of TNG between generations and first contact. And yet it bases itself on Deep Space Nine and the episode The Muse and what happens after Lwaxana leaves. Of course, Odo marries Lwaxana and then Lwaxana leaves the station and she's pregnant. And what happens after that? And it, I just find it very, very interesting that this TNG book tells that story. Well, and it just, it reminded me of, of a couple of things, Chris, here. How well the DS9 writers knew TNG so that they can pull the the those characters out that they wanted to use, like Luxon and whatnot, and, and really utilize them, I think, well, most of the time, except I, we could all argue probably Q, not not well utilized, uh, or Vash, well yeah. utilized on uh, Deep Space Nine. But on a whole, you know, if they, anytime they reference or use um, someone like that, we even talked about on the orb, uh, Thomas Riker being used, it, all done very well. And it, it, it made me wish that TNG had been more serialized like Deep Space Nine had been because these are fantastic characters that you've created on, on TNG um, and, and a, a lot that I want to know about them. And uh, yet, you know, it's it's taking a book series basing this whole year um, of their lives where we don't really know anything because they're in between films. Really, that's what it is. And Deep yeah. Space Nine is still in the air and still telling the only place really still telling star trek stories at the moment and and that's why this is happening and um but it, it does create this sadness in me that tng hadn't been more in the deep space nine mode of storytelling because um i i think we had some some really good characters there that could have really benefited um i would have loved to have known more about mott and um you know um, the other people who worked out in the workout room with uh, Worf and his mockball crew and yeah. those kind of things. And I'm just kidding. I just would have loved to have known more about Riker and, yeah. and you know, uh, Crusher and, and even Troy and all these people just kind of diving more into them. And Well, because it's one thing that you get in this book. You know, I mean, there's not a big scene of this in here, but but you do get the feeling in this book that there's so much more just between Riker and Lawaxana as Troy's mother, you know, like he, you can tell in this story, you can tell that he really knows Lawaxana better than probably any other character on Star Trek. And that's something that we never really got a feel for on the show, right? Yeah, definitely. Uh, and just in its, in the same way that, um, you know, getting to kind of see this kind of, um, look at Jordy's personal life and, and this decision that he's going to have to make it, you know, about his visor and, and whether or not he gives it up is, is a big deal. And, and, and what a great exploration of this character and, and just kind of the internal life of Jordy. I mean, we learned some really cool things psychologically about Jordy we've never known before. And it took this tiny little, you know, ebook to kind of dive yeah. into that character and make me really appreciate this character more, especially what it was doing for and what it could have done for those who have the disability of blindness like Jordy does. 
Um, except, and I, I think it would have been really interesting. Yeah, except for me, some of the things that they did with Jordy in that background here felt a little unlike Jordy. Like I, I hadn't seen anything in his personality to hint that that might be going on inside his mind and in his childhood. Well, and, you know, I chalk that up to the writing on TNG and, and not the character itself. I think the character of Jordy is probably a lot deeper than yeah. we just so, ever get credit for. On so the these show. things make sense for the character if the character were fully fleshed out, like someone dealing with it, the situation. Exactly. Would probably in in the same way that Kirsten Beyer makes me feel like when she fleshes out, you know, Chakotay or uh harry kim that oh i'm finally knowing the real harry kim like this is what was there the whole time it just they never put it out on screen it's kind of like in generations when they extended the bridge you know and they added those side bits it was more like this is just the part you never got to see because we had a you know three three by four tv screen instead of the widescreen yeah so well let's talk more about the visor this is what i call the visor of danger and this is the danger will Robinson danger, <laughs> right? The, so in this story, like you said, people were surprised to see Jordy. I mean, it was one of the great reveals of first contact, right? When Jordy looks up and you see those eyes for the first time and the people wonder like what happened to the visor? You know, why did he finally, after all this time, make the decision to change? And then we have this character in the story, Admiral Hayes, and and remember, the story is taking place after the Leighton affair from, again, from DS9, Homefront and Paradise Lost. And we got to explore that in the previous Slings and Arrow books. But Admiral Hayes sees this as a security risk, and he actually references several episodes of The Next Generation and also what happened in Generations, which actually ended with the destruction of the Enterprise D, but he sees it as a security risk in the, with, with everything that's going on with the founders, he thinks Jordy needs to get rid of the visor because it could compromise the security of the Enterprise. Well, and, uh, you know, he actually kind of has a point. He does have a point. Um, yeah. You know, Jordy's visor, and, and he brings up all the points where Jordy's visor has been, or Jordy himself has been used against uh, the Enterprise, even without his knowledge. And the the way that they go about this, I think, is, is totally wrong. I, I, you know, I, I felt like, honestly, couldn't you have just sat Jordy down and said, Jordy, uh, you know, as Admiral Hayes said, this is what I'm thinking, Mr. LaForge, and this is what we've been thinking as, you know, say Starfleet Command. We feel like the visor might be a danger, um, and we'd like you to consider this option, and, and not because we want to make you do anything you don't want to do, but for your safety and for the safety of the, the Federation, for the Enterprise, um, that this might be a good plan. And I just think uh, if they had approached it like that, um, the logic and, and the, the request that they were making would have gone a lot farther and, and gone down a lot smoother than the way they do it, which is, um, you know, you you get rid of the visor or we ship you off to Timbuktu um, where you're going to be sorting mail in a shiny mail room with Will Ferrell from Elf. Where, where that's the only place where you're not going to hurt right. us, you know, like it did a great job because it also created this, this whole 
um, what Starfleet is going through at this point. You know, they've had the latent affair. Yeah. Um, they've had the the Dominion is is on the horizon at this point, and the Federation is scared, and and um, you're seeing that start to play out. And I thought that was really interesting because this is another thing is. TNG in this book is really being influenced here by Deep Space Nine and telling a completely different Federation type story than they would have ever touched really yeah. in, in the series. They yeah. just didn't touch this kind of thing. Although it does lead towards what we see happening in Insurrection, though. It does. Yeah. And that actually is helpful. And this was one of those instances where this series is setting up some of those things you'll see in Insurrection this does it very subtly, very well done. Yeah. Um, and I really appreciated that. Well, your take on how they should have asked Geordi to replace the visor. Yeah, I mean, I think I pretty much agree with that. You have to remember, though, that these are bad morals. So they are incapable of taking that approach. They have to just come in and make asses of themselves and demand the unreasonable and and such. Although whether or not this is an unreasonable request is something I want to talk about. Um, in terms of the danger, though, there's one thing that was never mentioned here that I think really shows what the real threat could be. The real issue with the visor, you know, it's not like a technical issue that allows someone to take control of it. The, a founder could actually become the visor right on Jordy's face, just take the shape of a visor right on his face. Uh, that's true. I don't know if Jordy would be able to see. <laughs> But that could happen. Uh, I was just thinking that um, maybe um, female uh, crew members had started to complain because uh, they realized yeah. that Jordy is leering at them. And he's, it's basically like those James Bond um, glasses he puts on their x-ray vision, you know, yeah. so he can see their underwear. Could be that. That's probably really what they're complaining about. Um, Jordy, we've had a lot of sexual harassment claims against you. And uh, <laughs> we need you to change your visor. <laughs> Yeah, I could just see it like here in Japan when you go to the hot springs, you go to the onsen and, um, you know, you get the onsen nude. So I can oh, just, okay. well, yeah, I can just see a, a sign on the door. It says like, you know, no visors allowed. It, it, there's not really anything to hide if you're not wearing clothes, though, Chris. So <laughs> visor, why would I want a visor? <laughs> just give me my eyes. <laughs> I guess <laughs> I guess that's a good point. Maybe maybe that was his motivation to get actual ocular implants so that, you know, it had the, the better zoom feature and I don't know. Was, uh, there you, you know, go, we're, we're better really, zoom feature. We're really going off want, the rails so. here, Matthew, with this story. So, all right. So I think that the... The reason for Admiral Hayes' request that, you know, this could be a device that could be a security risk. It could be exploited. It has been exploited in the past, you know. I mean, he references the mind's eye, for example. He references generations. He has a very valid point here, and it's just the approach that he takes that uh that is the issue yeah exactly and um and, and it's interesting to think um that that something like this you know say for jordy uh or just any character that has some kind of um cybernetic or uh, prosthetic like this um 
how you can, you know, use different technologies in, in really terrible ways. You know, that who would have, I doubt anybody who created this for Jordy and for those that were blind thought, oh, well, this is what we could use this for, you know. But just seeing how um, anything can really just be corrupted and turned into something terrible. Um, and, uh, you know, you can take nuclear power and you can turn it into a bomb that destroys a lot of things. You can also use it to power a whole city. You know, you yeah. guys do it in Japan. So it's just a it's just a really crazy thing. And so that's a really interesting idea that's it, it's it's not really overt in the in the book at all. But it just made me think of that. You know, you can take the smallest thing and it can be very benign. And uh, if you're warped enough, you can turn it into something terrible. Yeah. Well, th- this becomes the big, you know, th- the story's not complicated in this this little book, you know. It's basically there's there's the Waxana and the issue with the baby and then Troy being upset at her mother for not talking to her, not telling her what was going on. So that's one thing. You've got this visor issue with Jordy, which is the primary thing, and then you've still got Data trying to come to terms with his use of the emotion ship. But the the issue with Data does play in to Jordy a bit, and it does call back to the friendship that Jordy and Data have on the series, because the idea of having to give up the visor is it's a really really difficult one for Jordy, and I understand his position in some ways, where he talks about the fact that he's worn this thing for like thirty something years, and it's who he is, and it's part of him, and he doesn't want to make the change, even though he knows that there's technology that could actually improve his vision and improve his life and um but but data's trying to kind of help him especially after Jordy freaks out in engineering and starts basically threatening to airlock his staff because they turned off the warp engines without his permission or something uh but the experience the discussion kind of helps um data learn that to assess the situation like, you know, humans approach something from an emotional point of view and uh, Data finds that he maybe isn't giving Jordy the best advice because he's not looking at it from an emotional perspective. I don't know, wh- what did you think about the the Data element of this and how it ties in with Jordy? You know, what I thought was really interesting here um, was that they're using this as a, as a way to help data grow and, and to see how to integrate his emotions into um, how he lives. And the fact that it um, being able to think about something logically doesn't necessarily allow you connect with um, everything that it means to be human and the, um, uh, the empathy that it requires and, and all of those things and data um, I liked this. I, I liked this part of the story about data learning what it meant to integrate all of these things to help somebody, um, from your own experience to, um, uh, putting yourself in somebody else's shoes. All of those take emotions and then combining that within the logic of, of a right and a wrong and, and the, you know, the best way to go, the, 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 the utilitarian type arguments, all those kind of things, putting it all together is tough. You know, it, it made me kind of um, appreciate in some ways how tough it can be to be human. Yeah. Um, 
and and the the fact that we just take it for granted that we do that you know all the time um you know we don't always do it well but we do it uh every day and um i thought it was a really great way to to kind of help further data story here you know i am not the world's biggest data fan um but i liked this data story uh as opposed to some of the other ones we've gotten the other books i i thought that this one was really well done personally I think this one works a bit because it's directly related to Jordy because exactly. on the series they they were so close and you know that Data really looked up to Jordy and Jordy's someone who really helped Data kind of slowly evolve towards being more human. And um the other parallel I saw here for Data was that there's a bit of the measure of a man going on here in terms of what it what's going on with Jordy. And so having knowing that Data went through that himself in the measure of a man and you know deciding that he has to resign his commission and then he tells Jordy here, you know, you have to resign your commission. It's kind of it's like your only option because if you if you want to keep the visor and you don't want to go work in a closet somewhere where no one's ever going to see you again, your option is to resign your commission. And of course, that's something Jordy cannot imagine doing, right? Because he's, he always wanted to be in Starfleet. He's, that's his life. You know, he calls his dad in this story as well, which was quite interesting um, to see him talk to his dad. But, but in the end, Data kind of feels like he maybe gave Jordy the wrong advice, but, but it is ultimately a balancing act, right? Where Jordy's learning how to to take a partial emotional approach to a situation and a partial logical approach to it and balance those. That's probably the hardest part about being human. Right. Well, I think that was what we made. Uh, and, and I liked that, that uh, Beverly got a great uh, few scenes in here where she's getting to kind of counsel Jordy on, on what it is that he wants. And this idea that she asked him, I thought was great. She says, you know, forget them. What do you want? And he has that revelation, that moment. And he says, oh, my God, that's exactly what I've been doing all my life, worrying about the quote unquote them, what they think, you know. And so um, for him, it also meant holding on to the visor, you know, yeah. and instead of being able to even think about letting it go. And I, th- I thought it was a really uh, a great scene. Um, to to kind of see that that somebody like Jordy, and to me it made sense. He is this kind of uber eager go get him. He reminds me a lot of Ensign Mayweather from Enterprise. Just that there's nothing wrong with this guy. Yeah. He's just the good old all American guy. You know, just he's gonna he's gonna do everything he's got to do. Yeah. He's never gonna complain. You yeah. know, Jordy almost never complains. And and so just kind of seeing that that there's something underneath the surface here um, really made it worthwhile for me to see yeah. that in Jordy. And I, I thought it was a, it's a, it's a great thing as we all struggle with that in life of do we, are we doing what we're doing to please other people? Are we doing what we're doing to not please other people? But at the same time, you know, just how it all works, our motivations for our lives is, is tough. Um, and uh, I appreciated that about the story. I thought it was well done. Yeah. Well, one more point I want to talk about. I mentioned earlier about the the whole 
I, the approach that Admiral Hayes takes towards this. One thing that's very TNG in this story for me is Picard's attitude towards this because, you know, Picard is the captain who's going to stand up and give you this grandiose speech, you know, morality speech. And it's something I like about Picard, and, and I like those moments in the series and, and in the films, like what he what he does in Insurrection as well, uh, when he talks about how many does it take before it's wrong. I don't know if I agree with Picard entirely in this situation, because the the issue is rights within Starfleet. And if this were a civilian matter, I would agree entirely with what Picard says and I would agree with the whole debate that Geordi's having as well. But Starfleet's a military organization. And when you sign up for Starfleet, when you enlist, you know, you're you're joining that group. And I think that you give up some of your rights in that situation. Like, you know, I mean, it's as an individual person, yes, you still have those rights. But if you want to be part of the organization, you don't necessarily have all the same rights that you have if you're just an ordinary civilian. And towards the end of the book, Picard, it's right at the end of the book, Picard is talking to Admiral Hayes and he says, and with respect, sir, what you did goes beyond the pale. It was a violation, not only of one man's most personal rights, but of the very standards of civilized society and however real or however dire the threats against our security may be, if we sacrifice who we are as a people, we will lose far more than any enemy can ever hope to take from us. So the, the second part of that, I, I, I agree with, and I see that as a parallel to what's going on, especially in the United States these days with the NSA and with stuff that's been happening really for the past decade where the you know personal liberties have been eroded and eroded in the name of security. But there you're talking about civilians, right? The, the population of, of a country or the Federation or whatever. But in the story, what we're really talking about is we're talking about one officer and the requirements of the organization that he stop using a device because it's a security risk to the organization that's protecting the liberties and the rights of all these people. So the first part of what Picard said there felt like a lot of Picard grandstanding that just fell flat on me because I, I think Picard's wrong here. I think Admiral Hayes, no matter, no matter how poorly he made his request, I do think he has the right to ask Jordy to get rid of the visor. I, I'm, I'm right way there with you, and I love the end of the book because they actually, you know, you think that he's going to be a bad moral. Yeah. And uh, I love some of the quotes here. I'm just going to read some because I think they're fantastic. They're having this conversation. He says, so let me assure you, Captain, if you think that I don't understand your concerns about preserving our liberties and our way of life in this time of heightened security, you are much mistaken. He says, file your protest, Jean-Luc, and the issue deserves a full and vigorous open debate. Uh, He says also, but let me say, it's easy to spout platitudes about preserving freedom against the demands of security. It's a whole lot more difficult to be the person responsible for keeping people secure and having them find a balancing act. Yeah. And he says uh, that later that it was an easy decision to make about Jordy. He says, Mr. LaForge still has his sight. He still has his rank, his position, his dignity as a person. And so, yes, it does in large part come down to how easy it is. 
He said it would be far more difficult to address the danger posed by a person's more innate abilities, such as a connection with the Borg. Uh, yeah. And I love the 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 jab at, at Picard saying, you know, do you understand what we're dealing with here as an admiralty? The 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 fear that we have in in and the struggle that we have of trying to keep the Federation safe and continue to have freedom. Um, it's a delicate act. And this is what I think uh, is where I like the novels where we get to dig into Picard more as a person instead of that platitudinous pontificating a-hole that he can turn into yeah. sometimes. Like he's really right and everybody else is really wrong. Picard's not... I don't. I think he's more well-rounded than what he's portrayed in as the show, and we get that in the books. Yeah. Um, because I think even Picard would have realized that this is this is difficult, and this is the strength of what we were talking about, Deep Space Nine. Yeah. Take all of that utopia and play it out in real life. Yeah. In the universe that doesn't agree with you, how how do you live? And this admiral here is a perfect example of the struggle that I think we watch Cisco have to try to walk for seven years. And it's why I'd say, um, to me, he's my favorite captain because he really lives with the struggle. Hashtag the struggle <laughs> for, <laughs> yeah. for what it's like to live in the 24th century and, and navigate this murky gray water that he's in. Um, yeah. And uh, so, yeah, this is a fantastic discussion in, in this book. And so I really well, like it. You know, the, the parts you're talking about right here and what Hayes is saying to Picard, you know, he also mentions in that part about what happened during the latent affair on Earth and all. And and the fact he says the week after the president put Starfleet troops in the streets of Earth, my granddaughter and her sons were stopped outside their home in Cologne. Some overeager kid with a phaser rifle decided they didn't look right and demanded all three of them submit to blood tests right there and then. A three-year-old and a two-year-old on their way to the playground down the street forced at gunpoint to prove they weren't enemies of the state. And for me personally, I mean, this rings so true because my son, we're traveling to the United States when my son was three years old or barely four years old. Uh, I, I believe we were in San Francisco. TSA pulled my son aside at that age, took him away from us, made him sit with them alone without his parents and questioned him. He has a, an American passport. And this is what they're doing in the name of security and liberty. And it's complete crap. And But that's what you have to... That's what, like you said, the Admiralty, they're, you know, they're trying to balance. Like, how do we keep people safe? And how do we allow them to have their personal freedoms? And I guess what what I liked about the end of the book as well is the fact that even that's addressed, you know, it's like, and here's someone who's making the decision that, that no one likes and we don't like, and he's, he's being a bad moral towards Jordy here, but yet that's his own story about what happened, you know, to his own grandchildren. Well, so. and I think it, it, it just shows that um, there are things that we, can do that are wise um in in security and um is your personal freedom more important than the safety and security of everyone like for jordy and his decision like is uh, there, there's a joke in here i love uh her mom troy's mom acts if she's 
uh, crashed another starship. Yeah, that was a great job. And um, yeah. which was awesome. I love that. And of course, Troy's just like, oh, am I ever no. going to live this down? Um, yeah. No, you're not. We talk about it all the time. But but that would never have happened. The Enterprise D would never have been lost. People's lives would have been never been lost if Jordy's visor hadn't right. been used against them. Yeah. And so um, I, I think that, again, it's a, it's a good argument to make. And there are things that we can do that are wise that we can give up. Maybe, so for, say for me, if it's okay with me, I will give up this personal freedom the mm-hmm. same way Jordy's doing here for yeah. the betterment of the collective. Well, and the job that you mentioned earlier about the connection with the Borg also kind of sets up why why is the Enterprise on the sidelines at the beginning of First Contact, right? So that was a nice little touch to a setup here, but yeah, exactly. And and the the idea that setting up the setting up really well that idea that too that the Admiralty is worried about Picard and his connection yeah. with the Borg. That that's that's not something that they've forgotten about, which again, you know, I I don't have a problem with who Picard is in, in first contact at all because I think that this man um, needed more than one, you know, visit to home to be better. Yeah. Uh, you know, this guy's going to have some serious psychological trauma and I appreciated that actually first contact allowed him to go through that. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, like 10 years too late, but at least they're allowing him to experience what he would really experience. Uh, so I appreciated that. Um, but uh yeah, who? Why wouldn't the Admiralty be scared with an, a captain who can still hear the pork? <laughs> right, definitely. Well, I will say of this book that for a little ninety-page book, I think that this raises some really deep issues and really interesting issues, and um, I really enjoyed it. And uh, so, I think that I'll give this book eight sets of ocular implants you know chris um i am going to give this book um eight and a half a super tight starfleet uniforms say that three <laughs> times fast uh yeah wow. i really i really did appreciate this book i thought it was great i think uh the premise of what they're trying to do connecting this with uh first contact uh, is going really well at this point for the most part. And I really liked the issues that we dealt with this in this book. Yeah. Yeah, it was good. All right. Well, it's I'm glad we got to continue our Slings and Arrows series today, Matthew, and we'll be getting to book four uh, sometime in the near future. But it's not the only thing we've been talking about on the network this week. So here are some other things you may have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. <laughs> Commentary. Shatner is so good in this. I mean, I know it's it's uh seems weird to say that. It seems weird to say that a guy is good at playing himself, but Shatner excels at that. Earl Grey. Q. We've all got our claws up right now. Well, I don't know. I don't know if he was scared of her. Like he he put out his own hand. Snapper to death. <laughs> was it West Side Story? <laughs> yeah, West Side Story. <laughs> when you're a Q, you're a Q all the way. The Ready Room. Damage. That's what made Archer's next statement so awesome. And I'm not rationalizing anything. I know full well what I'm doing. Yeah. Like he he understands the ethical ramifications that he's taking. He knows what's going to weigh on his conscience now. The orb. Runabouts. 
it definitely feels more like the old west mm-hmm. you know and you're basically in a covered wagon instead of like a train but so. a covered wagon that can go warp five to the journey living with this rewrite this always messed with me when i was younger like the the, the retinas or the nerve endings behind his eyes are dissolving that's just messed up yeah what warp five malcolm reed it almost feels like the writers thought it was fun to just keep throwing facts in and dialogue about him. You know, usually in the show Bible, you want to see people do things and they just say, oh, we'll have, some, we'll have this person say this. We'll have a whole episode about how he loves pineapple, but he's allergic to it. <laughs> Commentary, Trek stars. Robert Hewitt Wolf, Riverworld. But when you end up at the end of your thing, having gone from, I'm on a beach and I don't know how or why, to, no, don't take the glowing rock and put it in the spaceship. That will destroy the planet, I guess. That is too far too quickly. Melodic tricks. Five musical favorites. And to see the Klingon ship dissolve in, in the lightning effect with that music playing, you know, at loud volumes. It was it was basically the a geek's dream. Literary tricks. Spock reflections. And my favorite is when Amanda goes. I will never get used to a Vulcan scolding. <laughs> right. You know, we wouldn't take it as a scolding at all. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out all of these shows and get your daily Trek Talk fix. We have new Trek Talk for you every day of the week. And some days we even have two shows for you. And you'll find them in a variety of places, including on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Windows Phone, Xbox, or Zune. Or you can download or stream from the website. So go grab some shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe. All right, Matthew, since our last recording, again, we were able to record last week because we had some things that came up unexpectedly for us and we um, had to take a week off. And in the meantime, we received a message from Donald Gibson in Minneapolis. And uh, Donald said that I just listened to my first Literary Treks episode, Tell Me a Good Story. What a great show. Margaret Clark was not only an interesting guest with her behind-the-scenes illustration of the process of creating the novels we love to read, but also an entertaining woman with a lot of great stories to tell. I finished the show while at the gym Saturday morning and wound up listening to half the show again as I ran errands afterwards. So that's great to hear. And um, Donald had a request, which I think is great, Matthew, the request that we make this visit by Margaret and at least an annual thing to really catch up on what's going on in the novels. Yeah, it is a great request. I actually emailed uh, Margaret uh, today and uh, just mentioned that to her. And so hopefully she will agree. I think she will. Um, but yeah, it was fantastic having her on the show. I, I, I think that it's a very it was a very unique uh, look inside Star Trek books and um, really one that uh, I enjoyed as a fan. So I'm glad that others did as well. Most definitely. Yeah, I mentioned it to her as well. So hopefully she will be interested in that because um, I would like to make it at least an annual thing, if not a twice a year thing, personally. Also, in this message, uh, Donald mentioned that he's looking forward to our show on Christopher L. Bennett's Rise of the Federation. And we've, we already did the first one, A Choice of Futures, Donald. If you, if you missed that show, if you go back, I don't remember the number now, but we had a whole discussion, feature discussion about that one. Just Matthew and me, we were not able to get um, Christopher on the show that time. But Tower of Babel is coming up. We are going to try 
to get Christopher L. Bennett on the show. Uh, and if that doesn't work out, then we'll certainly be having a feature discussion about it again coming up. So for everyone else, if you'd like to send us a note as well, we would love to hear from you. There are a variety of ways you can do that. You can go to trek.afilm contact and use the form there. Choose to send to a show and choose literary treks. That will come to Matthew and me both by email. You can also send us a voicemail through the website, or you can go to our forums at trek.afilm forums to talk to us and other listeners about literary treks, about the books, the comics, anything you want to talk about related to Star Trek, you can do it there. And then in social media, you'll find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm. And you'll find us on Twitter under username trekfm, where we're always tweeting away about Star Trek. And uh, also, Matthew, before we get into our own contact information, I forgot to mention we did have a review on iTunes as well that we need to drop into the show here. This is from JJH191, who left us five stars in the U.S. iTunes store, said the best Trek podcast with best in all capital letters. Wow, so glad to have found this podcast. Outstanding insight, terrific interviews, and fascinating guests. This is a five-star podcast. Thanks. So we really appreciate that review. Oh, man, no kidding. I really appreciate being called the best Trek podcast. Um, so that is wonderful. And, and thank you so much for listening. I mean, we do this for you guys. So thanks for listening. Absolutely. Yeah. And everyone else, if you enjoy the show, drop by iTunes. It only takes a minute. Drop by, leave us a star rating and a written review. We'd love to hear from you. And that does help the show rise up in the results there and helps other fans of the books and comics find the show as they're searching in iTunes. All right, Matthew, when you're not, um, you know, talking to the Starfleet School of Fashion about your own ideas for uh, uniform design, where can people find you? Well, uh, you can find me on Twitter, Chris, at MattRushing02. You can also find me on The Orb, where we talk about Deep Space Nine every single week. And you can also find me on my own personal blog at 42lifeinbetween.wordpress.com. Now, Chris, when you are not helping Luxana deliver just yet another child from another <laughs> estranged husband, uh, where can we find you? Oh, yeah. Oh, that Luxana. You'll find me hiding from Lawaxana. Picard has given me some great tips on that. That is probably a good call. I'm, I'm <laughs> glad you finally decided to hide from her. Yeah. Now, you can find me on Twitter as well. My username is C Brian Jones. That's the letter C and Brian with a Y. You can find me pretty much everywhere in social media under that same username, as well as on my personal website at cbrianjones.com. And then elsewhere on the network, besides doing the orb with Matthew, you can find me every week on The Ready Room, where we talk about Star Trek news and all five live action Star Trek series. I'm joined by guests from all over the network, as well as other special guests. And you'll also find me on Warp 5, where we talk exclusively about Enterprise and on my interview show, Matter Stream. So check those out if you're interested. Before we let you go, we'd also like to remind you about Audible.com, our sponsor for today's show. They help us bring literary tricks to you every week. And you can help us as well by supporting Audible and getting great audiobooks in the process. Go to audibletrial.com slash trekafilm to sign up for a free trial and choose any audiobook you want absolutely free. That could be Into Darkness, as we talked about in news today, or anything else. And if at the end of the trial period you decide not to stick with Audible, you get to keep that audiobook. That's yours. So there's nothing to lose, but by supporting Audible and trying Audible, you'll be helping us keep literary treks coming every week. So again, go to audibletrial.com slash trekafilm and sign up today. And we really thank Audible for helping us keep the network going. 
One more thing you can do to support us is to make a donation to the network. The shows are free for you to download, but they're not free for us to produce. We have to pay for the cost of production, storage, and bandwidth every week. It really adds up because we do have quite a large audience. And you can help us out by going to trek.fm slash donate and checking out the different contribution levels that we have. And we have original alien illustrations as a thank you for your support. These are done by Tobu Ushi, who does most of the artwork that you see on our website. And they're available as both badges and art prints, and you can mix and match. So go check it out. Let us know what you'd like, and let us know how you can help out. And we really do thank you for helping us keep Literary Treks going. Again, that's at trek.fm slash donate. Well, thank you everyone for joining us. Until next time, live long and read on. What do you call that light reading? To each his own, number one. And we, we find, I think, that this book is sufficiently exciting by its cover. To, I think so, to yes. Read, so. <laughs> we have a stamp we put on it, sufficiently exciting. <laughs> we need to create that stamp for the cover art. <laughs> we really do. Matt and Chris Seal of sufficiently exciting. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay, we're gonna have to recover so we can continue this show. <laughs> Woo! Why was that so funny? No, oh, I don't know what is so funny stuff. about that, but it, I don't know, there's something but it about really it funny. that's just too uh, funny. All right, we've been up too long. <laughs> I guess so. <clears throat> oh goodness.